kind of picking up where we left off quite a while ago with the uh, fact of talking about metaphorically speaking. Uh, we did that earlier this year, and uh, the, then we had interns that took some Sunday nights for us and different things, but there's different metaphors in the Bible uh, that allows us to see different ways the Lord compares us and how we can impact those around us. And tonight I want to go to Galatians chapter 4. And uh, we'll read a couple of verses out of there. Having children is one of life's greatest blessings and challenges and difficulties and uh, good things as well. The relationship with uh, children's relationship with their parents is one of uh, sacrificial and unending love. Uh, That's our relationship with them as well. There's different stages of parenting. Uh, Ages 1 through 12, I call that control. Uh, That's when you kind of have complete and total control over your youngster. Age 13 to 18, you're more like a coach. Uh, You get them involved in things. They're starting to become a little more independent as they get older. And then age 19 and on, you're just a counselor. And uh, that's pretty much all you can do after that point. Uh, If they listen, you just pray they listen and care what you have to say from that point on. But the sweetest relationship that we can have with God is that father child relationship. He is our father. God's love and protection of his children is also unending and uh, and of infinite proportions. He, he loves us more than we love our children, and he loves us more than we can imagine. Somewhere in the beginning of almost all of Paul's epistles, he mentions God our father. No matter what the main subject is of the letter, Paul wants believers to know God is their Father. And that is a very important thing for us to realize. Living in light of this relationship with the Lord allows everything else to fall into place. Because we must be the right kind of children in order to be the fulfilled Christians that God wants us to be. And it really is a great way to look at things uh, in that light. We talk tonight in discipleship about prayer. And when you look at prayer, it helps us to understand God is our Father. We are His children. Uh, that helps us to understand why we get a no sometimes in prayer, because the father knows better than the child what is good for them, right? Uh, we know that as we've raised children. They think they know better, but they don't know better. Uh, we know better for them, especially when they're young. And so that's the same way with God. Now, it's interesting that the business of being a child does not interest a child. Have you ever noticed that? When children play or uh, role play and do different uh things they rarely play other children. They play adults. They play, uh, they'll either, I remember when we were growing up as young kids, we played church. So we always had the ushers, we had the piano player, we had the preacher. I was the preacher. Uh, I was the oldest, so I was the preacher. And then we had uh, the sinner that would come forward and get saved. That was my brother. He needed that over and over and over again. Uh, it didn't help at all. I don't know how many times he came forward and got saved, but it didn't help. Uh, but children rarely play at being children. They, they, they uh, play as adults, but we are pictured in the Bible as a child. And I want to read these verses, Galatians chapter five, let's start uh, chapter four, I'm sorry, start at verse number five. To redeem that, them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant. Hallelujah. Thou art no more a servant, but a son. 
and then an heir of God through Christ. It says there, if a son, then an heir. So he, uh, not only are we sons, we are heirs. And so let's talk about that tonight for a few minutes as we open this up. Father, we ask that you'd help us tonight to see our role and how we can have an impact for you through it, through this idea of being your child, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the various relationships to God that we have talked about and we continue to talk about from this pulpit, we come to the sweetest one tonight, and that is the child of God. We're children of God. I've talked about this in discipleship uh, so often. Sometimes it, uh, I've went through discipleship now 18 times since I've been here, uh, taught it, and so you can imagine sometimes it runs together. If I talked about that in the pulpit or we talked about that in discipleship, one of the things that uh, I mention there often is that when I'm talking to someone about uh, their salvation, if they've just got saved, rather than go to John 10, although I like that too, God holds you in his hand, no man can remove him out of their hand, all that. But as far as a, uh, a practical illustration of eternal security, I like the father-son relationship. Because sons are sons no matter what happens. Fathers are fathers no matter what happens. And uh, those that are parents know how precious their children are. And by the way, this statement here that we become sons of God, this was something that a, a millennium of law could not do for a lost son of Adam's race. Establish him as a son of God. All right? This, uh, this is a, uh, something that is really exciting for us to understand. There's nothing that we wouldn't do for our children. Uh, there's no sacrifice too great. Their joy is our joy. Their pain is our pain. Yet we can't even touch, we can't even scratch the surface of God's love for us as children. Uh, so that's a, I remember this light going on in my mind when I became a father. And I thought, wow, that's what it means, God being our father. Because we, we can understand it intellectually, but until you actually have a child and you recognize you would walk through fire, you'd face a gun, you'd do whatever it had to to protect that child, and uh, you love that child with a love you can't really explain. I mean, it's just uh, an innate love that you have for them. That doesn't even touch what God has for us. God considers children to be one of His richest blessings. Psalm 127.3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His rewards. In the Old Testament, one of the greatest blessings for a man was to have many children. Uh, the Bible has genealogies. Uh, do you, how many of you, you don't have to admit it. I'm just saying this rhetorically. But how many of you come to the genealogies and skip, skip over them when it comes to your Bible reading? Those are hard to read, aren't they? Um, and sometimes, if I have problem focusing during Bible reading, sometimes I'll read aloud. I don't know if you ever do that. But that's really hard to read the genealogies aloud, trying to pronounce all those words. Um, I like uh, one person's... Uh, said that the genealogies are like the guy who reviewed the phone book. Uh, he wrote a review of the phone book. He said, great cast of characters, weak plot. That's kind of what genealogies are. It's a great cast of characters. There's no plot there, so it's hard for us to read through them. But uh, it was important to the Jews because uh, they were able to trace their lineage. And established lineage was a matter of legality as well as a matter of family pride. Uh, it's a miracle that an unbroken line of sons would continue for so many generations. For instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, only 200 years after the birth of Abraham Lincoln, it's not even been 200 years since the birth of Abraham Lincoln, and he has no direct descendants uh, 
in, in his line. So the last one died, I think, in the late 80s. Uh, so it's a miracle of, of how many sons, unbroken line uh, for the Messiah that came. The Apostle John expressed a high regard for a man named Gaius, which was one of his converts. And in 3 John 4, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The Apostle John lived a long and prosperous life. He found his greatest happiness that his spiritual children walked in obedience to the Word of God. And we make our Heavenly Father happy as well and please Him when we walk in obedience to Him. So let's look at both the responsibilities uh, and the blessings of being a child of God. We see, first of all, becoming a child of God. And we I know I'm talking to our Sunday night crowd here and, and uh, everybody I, that I know of here anyway has expressed a salvation testimony. But we'll just review this. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee named uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, asked him a question. Nicodemus, knowing that Jesus was a teacher come from God because nobody could do the things that Jesus did. Uh, so Jesus answered him in John 3, 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now we come a, become a child of our parents through a physical birth. We become a child of God through spiritual birth. By receiving God's gift of salvation, we're born again, as Jesus said it there, into the family of God. In fact, he told Nicodemus that two times. You must be born again. Now, to be born again, we understand that all of us are sinners and condemned before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Christ died for our sins, Romans 5, 8. And we must trust Christ for salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And uh, that puts us into the family of God by birth. And can I say this? God wants every person to be his child. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants every single human being to be his child. First, or John, I'm sorry, 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus left nobody out when he died on the cross. His invitation for salvation is open to all. Second Corinthians 515, and that he died for all. I don't know how a Calvinist gets past that, but that's what they, they do. Uh, that he died for all. That they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You can look up the word all in English. You can look up the word all in Greek or whatever language you want. And all means all. And that's all that all means. It just means all. Everyone is, is, uh, is, it has the invitation of salvation. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. God's will is that all people would receive His gift of eternal life and become His children. But many, we could really say most, reject that offer of, uh, of salvation. Uh, I think of the verse in Matthew 23, 37. This is again another verse uh, that really rejects Calvinism in my opinion. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her winds, but ye would not. That is very clearly, Jesus would that they would have, they would not. Not they could not, but they would not. They went against God's will for them, and they rejected him. I would have, you would not. Never mistake the desire of our Savior. He wants everyone 
to be saved. The, the offer of salvation is open to everyone. In first, in, in John 1 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Even in the book of Revelation, we see his final invitation in Revelation 22 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. God wants everyone to be his child. So, if he does not discriminate, let us not discriminate in who we give the message to. God also will never disinherit a family member. Once we've accepted God's gift of eternal life, we enter into a child-father relationship with God. And many talk about how this relationship can be broken by sin, but can someone who has genuinely accepted Christ as Savior lose his salvation? Again, the parent-child relationship helps to understand this idea of what we call eternal security. First, the parent-child relationship is a blood relationship. Fellowship can be broken, but a blood relationship cannot be broken. A child can break fellowship with their parents, but nothing can change their blood relation. I can, you, most of you know my dad. Uh, I have a great relationship with my dad. I talk to him uh, usually about twice a week. And uh, so uh, we have a, a great time. In fact, just as the years go on, we seem to grow closer and closer together. But let's just say I had a falling out with him and I changed my name. Uh, I got plastic surgery and I moved to South America and I just did everything I could to completely cut relations. Guess what? I would break fellowship with him. I would lose all the benefits of the relationship with him. He'd still be my dad. I'd still be his son. Uh, this is because we have a blood relationship. And so you'll always be your parent's child, no matter how old you are, no matter where you go, what you do, you'll be their child, they'll be your parent. So accepting Christ as our Savior also puts us into a blood relationship. The moment we receive God, we receive Christ, become God's children, that blood that covers our sins uh, before God. First Peter 1, 18, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. If, we're, if you're a child of God, you have a blood relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Our fellowship with God can be broken, but our relationship with God is never broken. That's an exciting thing. And the parent-child relationship shows us this. The This father-child relationship can never be broken because we were born into the family. You can die, but you can't be unborn. You can never be unborn. My brother, actually the same brother I was just with this week, uh, boy, I think it's been about 10 years, or no, it's been more than 10 years, maybe 15 years, they had a, a son, and this son lasted uh, less than a day. So it was born and, and immediately uh, passed away. And it was a very heartbreaking thing for them. Uh, but he has a name. He has a grave. Uh, he existed. All right. He died almost immediately, but he was not unborn. He was a person. He was somebody. And so uh, we, we understand this, that we cannot undo our spiritual birth as well. We can't be unborn. We can die. We can break fellowship, but we can't be unborn. There are those that think sin can break their fellowship, or I mean, I'm sorry, their relationship as a child of God. And it would do you well if you'd remember how you became a child of God. 
tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and in not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Simply this, uh, it's telling us there, we don't get saved by doing good. We certainly can't stay saved by doing good. Neither way can we earn it with our good works. The Galatians questioned Paul about this, and he answered them very clearly in Galatians 3, if you want to just flip back a page, Galatians 3, 1 through 3, and he even was a bit offensive. You know, when somebody asks you a question, you can answer, or you can be like Paul. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should obey, not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ, who hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? The, this only would I learn of you received, this is what he asked, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of the faith? He asked the same question I just did. How'd you get saved? Did you get saved by the law or by faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, you're now made perfect in the flesh. It's simply saying, you're not saved by works and you're not sanctified by works and you're not, you don't keep your salvation by works. No one can take your status as a child of your parents away from you. Nothing they can do about it. And no one can take your status as a child of God away from you either. Praise the Lord. What does happen to a, God, a child of God who commits sin? Well, uh, we all know that even as children of God, uh, we continually do things to displease Him. And 1 John 1.8 even tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And uh, the truth is not in us. When a Christian sins, the fellowship with God is broken. And what happens next is what a wise parent does when his children disobey. When your child disobeys you, does he cease to be your child? No, but you have to deal with it and you have to uh, uh, appropriate punishment or discipline on them. You set appropriate uh, consequences for their misbehavior. You punish the transgression, but you don't stop loving your child. You don't uh, disown your child uh, because they do wrong. You don't stop being that child's parent. By the way, you could even declare it, but it's not happening. You're still the parent of that child, okay? Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. To chasten means to correct by punishment or reproof. To scourge means to inflict severe suffering, vengeance, or punishment. God will do whatever is necessary to correct our behavior. But he always corrects us with the purpose of restoring us back into fellowship with him. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to read you a verse we read. We actually read it tonight out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Since I have it marked, I'll just use this Bible here. Um, verse 31 I like this verse, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I remember, maybe you had kind of the same thing, but with my children, I had a long-standing agreement. If you do something wrong, and you come to me and you confess it, and you apologize and you make it right, uh, sometimes, depending on what the infraction is, there might be certain steps taken, but there's not really going to be a punishment because you've already confessed it, and we'll, we'll do whatever we can to make sure it doesn't happen again. However, if I bust you in it or find out about it and you're trying to hide it whole different story you understand and we, and this is i believe what that verse is telling us if we judge ourselves then we won't be judged and so that's why it's so important to keep short accounts with god when we sin come to him and ask quick forgiveness and ask for uh, or confess get to first john 1 9 quickly in your life when there's sin 
And if we judge ourselves, there's no need for him to chasten us. He only chastens those who are being stubborn with their life. And so he disciplines us, he chastens us because he loves us. By the way, if you love your child, you'll discipline them too. You'll, uh, you'll do what's right there. And then let's look at some benefits of being God's child. Now, in the hiring process, one of the things that's often discussed is benefits packages. Insurance, paid holidays, uh, vacation days, sick pay, 401k. Uh, the, since we had our last president, my 401k has turned into a 104k. Maybe you can uh, uh, identify with that. But we are, this is all parts of a benefits package. Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. The child of God, as a child of God, you receive an incredible benefits package. Praise the Lord. You get a family name. The first name that's given uh, to... Uh, we do that with our physical families. We get the first name given to us, and then the last name is from our family. Our last name identifies us as part of that family. We carry it with us for life if we're male. Uh, and uh, if not, uh, you know, we, that, I had six daughters and two sons. All that work, and then they all take on different names. It seems so unfair. As the children of God, though, we carry the name Christian. The name was first bestowed in Acts chapter 11, and they tell us it was even not bestowed as a compliment. It was put on them uh, as, a, as a mockery intended to be but it means follower of Christ. And uh, that's a great family name. I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. We are Christians, and uh, we should be proud to bear that name. And then not only do we have a family name, we have an inheritance. As children of God, we have a family name of which we should be proud, but we also have an inheritance. And it talks about a little bit in our text tonight. Now, it has been said that insanity is an inherited disease. An inherited disease. It's inherited from your children. You get it from your kids. But most of the times, inheritances come from the other direction, okay? They come from our parents or grandparents. Paul mentions our inheritance as children of God several times. Turn your Bibles, keep your finger in Galatians here, but turn over to Ephesians, a couple of pages over, chapter 1, verse 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Look at verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints. As children of God, we are heirs. We have an inheritance. Hey, that's a blessing because uh, he is has everything, owns everything, amen. And we have quite an inheritance from him. Uh, I can't exactly describe all of the inheritance. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, he, uh, Paul even says, I had not seen, uh, ear have not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. We can't describe all the inheritance, but there are a few things we know about it. First uh, Peter 1, 4 tells us to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We know our inheritance is incorruptible. It cannot decay. It is imperishable. Unlike everything on earth which decays, our inheritance is perfect and will stay perfect. 
Our inheritance is also, the Bible says, undefiled. It is unsoiled, perfectly clean, uncontaminated, unspotted is what that original word means. Did you know there's nothing on earth that is absolutely perfectly clean? There's just acceptable levels of contamination. There's uh, what we call clean. But our inheritance is undefiled, praise God. Our inheritance does not fade away. It never changes. It never grows old. It never loses its freshness. Our inheritance, that verse says, is reserved in heaven for us. We can rest assured that God is taking good care of the things He has for us in the future. The Bible, Jesus says, thieves can't take it. Rust can't destroy it. That's our inheritance in heaven. Uh, we have a family name. We have an inheritance. We have a home. The average American life uh, span is lengthening, so there's a constant, ever-growing need for assistant living facilities. Ideally, I, in, a, in the culture that I grew up in, and maybe it's an ideal thing, uh, children maybe should take care of their parents, but sometimes that's not possible. And so I want you to look at what Jesus said about God's long-term care facility for His children. It's found in John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has been preparing this long-term care facility for quite a while now, and He's waiting to one day welcome us home when our time comes. One day soon, He will return, uh, and those, uh, and what we read about in the Bible is a rapture. Uh, those Christians already who died will rise first. The rest of us will meet Him in the air. When we finally reach heaven, that will be our home. Also, we see protection as a benefit of being His child. God takes good care of His children. We can be assured of His protection. Nothing will happen to us without His permission. Now, does that mean nothing bad will ever happen to us? No, not at all. But nothing will happen to us outside of His permission. He's given us a lot of example of His watch care over His children. We read, we just went through uh, not long ago a series on Job on Wednesday nights. Uh, there came a time in Job's life where his he had nothing but troubles, nothing but problems. Satan challenged God to lift His uh, protection against Job and and uh, he uh, said that without God's blessings, uh, Job would curse God. And so God gave him the green light to, to touch Job's possessions, but not Job. And then later to touch Job, but not his life. And it's interesting that in that situation there, we see specifically Satan was only allowed to go so far with Job. God put a limit on it. I believe that's uh, indicative of us as well. Uh, he, Satan can only go as far as God will allow him to. God protects his children. The Israelites at the Red Sea, the Jews under Ahasuerus in Esther's day, uh, the prophet Elisha. Remember the story about the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 uh, when they're surrounded and his servant is all stressed out because this army is surrounded. And uh, he uh, says in verse uh, 16, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with him. I, I want to... I'd love to see that servant's face. It was him and his servant, and his whole army was surrounding them, and he's like, don't worry, we got, we got more people than they do. What are you talking about? There's two of us here. And uh, they, you have lost your marbles. And then uh, Elisha says, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. God, God's protection surrounds us sometimes when we don't even realize it. He's protecting us. 
So how do we be the right kind of child? With the security of knowing that we'll always be God's child, it should create within us a desire to please our Heavenly Father. As a father, God desires that our relationship would grow with Him. In obedience, the fifth commandment, children obey your parents, or actually in Exodus 20, it's, it's found, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days, days may be long upon the land. A young child does not understand much, but he should and he can be taught that to obey from a very, very young age. Parents who early on teach their children to obey will save both themselves and their child a whole lot of misery later on. Uh, we've all known horrible heathen children who just are terrorize everybody around them. I always feel sorry for the parents, but they're kind of the ones that do it to themselves. But they don't ever take a, 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 to teach those ch children. But uh, Proverbs contains a lot of instruction on how to teach our children early. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Boy, have, if anybody who's raised children knows that's the truth. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, we're told uh, many times to reach children when they're young. By the way, uh, the, the Bible recognizes that, and God talks about how important that is. So have evil men in the past. Hitler targeted children. Uh, the, uh, um, Karl Marx talked about targeting children the very young. Reach the children, you'll, you'll get them as adults. Je Jeremiah 7.23 reveals this same theme that God has for His children. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and you walk in my ways that I have commanded you, and it shall be well unto you. God wants us to, oh, don't miss this. God wants us to obey for our own good. It brings glory to Him, yes, but it's also to our own good if we obey Him. When you obey your parents as children and young people, sooner or later, you'll be glad you did. And when we obey God, uh, we'll be glad we did as well. Don't just hear the word of God. Obey it. Put it into practice. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's not how much Bible you learn. It's how much Bible you live that'll make an impact to those around you. And so we ought to be obedient, obedient children. We're responsible for what we know. We read God's Word. We hear it preached. We have no excuse not to live it and in our life. When we consider the tremendous blessings that God has promised for obedience and the horrible consequences He has promised for disobedience, we ought to just obey. Amen? Be the easiest way out. I, raising teenagers, that's where these... Uh, this used to be black, coal black like this, uh, my hair. And then I had teenagers, and uh, they started to turn white slowly. Um, but in raising teenagers, how difficult they make life. And I always, I, always, I, I dated my daughters and, and spent a lot of time with my sons one-on-one, -on -one, and I would have these conversations with you. Now, I, I would, each one of my kids, I took them out on their 13th birthday, and we had the talk. We talked about... What's to come? This, you know, the next few years, uh, everything's wonderful right now. It's not going to be that way. I always said that the, sometime in your 13th year, while you're sleeping, your brain leaks out of your ear, and then you no longer have any sense anymore. It was kind of a joke in our family, but it did happen. And I could pretty much point, yep, the brain has leaked out of the ear now, and now we got nothing but trouble. 
Um, and so I would have that talk. You have a choice, though. You can have an incredibly difficult teenage experience in the Yoder household or a tremendously blessed experience. If you obey, if you're respectful, you live by the rules, you stay in the standards that we have, life will be wonderful. If you disobey and if you rebel and you fight us, life's going to be misery. And out of eight children, i got to tell you, some chose one path, some chose the other path. And uh, the younger kids can tell you they've had a front row seat to a miserable life and an easy life. Some of our kids, they got their license right when they turned the right age. They got, they got a car and they got to be able to have freedom and do things and enjoy life and have friends over and go to friends. And others were in a veritable prison because they just wouldn't obey. And as we see that, you know, we have such a vivid picture because we understand that in our families, that's the way it is with God as our Father. Obedience is the easiest path. Obedience will give us a, such a much a more wonderful life, and life is easier and more blessed if we just obey. And if we disobey, the consequences are so bitter. Joyfully obeying our loving Heavenly Father should be our only option. Obedience. And then faithfulness. As God's children, we owe Him faithfulness in our devotion. God is an ever-faithful Father to us. We need to be faithful to Him. 2 Timothy 2.13 I love this verse. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. What if I don't feel like a Christian? What if I don't feel like I'm a child of God? Even if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. God is always faithful. Let's us be faithful to him. There's going to be times when we slip. There's going to be times when we backslide, if you will, lack of a better term. But then we need to get back, get right, get back in uh, fellowship with God. We don't want to live a life outside of the fellowship of God. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. But there, there's more to it than that. There's a fellowship with Him too. We want that fellowship to be sweet. So let's work on that together. That, by the way, will give you the maximum impact. Child of God, who's right with God, right where doing what God wants Him to do, is going to make an impact in those around Him. Thank you, Father, for this text. I know we kind of jumped all over the place tonight, but I pray you'd help us to take on this principle of being a child of God, obedient, faithful to you. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to allow us into your family. We're grateful for the opportunity we have of serving you. Help us now as we go throughout the rest of this week. Help us to be a shining light of truth to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.